0: All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 4 and if you're uh, somebody who maybe been out of town for the last several weeks or maybe this is your first time with us this morning we want you to know that what we're doing here in Revelation chapter 4 is we're going back to the future and what is taking place here in Revelation chapter 4 is that John, the apostle John, who at this point in his life was very, very elderly, it's approximately 95 AD, he has an experience where he is taken to the time of the day of the Lord. And this is set for us in chapter one and verse 10. And what is taking place here in Revelation chapter four is we are going back and listening to a man and looking at his account of what he said he saw that took place in 95 a.d but he was writing about an event that has not yet happened okay and again that that is tough for our finite minds to to have crystallize and to, to gel in there he's writing about an event that has not yet happened and yet he saw it with his own eyes this is not like he had a vision of this he literally saw it and we pick up in in revelation chapter 4 and i want to take just a second to set the context for you there's several key things that let us know exactly what we're dealing with here you'll notice that verse 1 of revelation 4 begins with after this and the question of course is after what and obviously the answer is after whatever was just completed in the previous verse And what was it that was just completed in chapter 3? What's the answer? Those of you that have been here, what's the answer? What was just completed? The church age. Great. Chapters 2 and 3 of of the book of Revelation, what they are are seven letters that our Lord wrote to seven churches that were in Asia Minor, but we've seen that when you take these letters and put them into the whole of the book of Revelation and you use the keys that God gave you in this book to rightly divide it, what you find is that those seven letters represent seven periods of church history that make up the entirety of the church age. So when we come to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22, the church age has just ended on the earth, and that's why verse 1 begins after this. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, The scene changes from the earth to what's taking place in heaven. And what's going on here is John, as a picture of the raptured church, is translated or transported to the third heaven. Look again at verse 1. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened, where? In heaven. And look at verse 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And and what I want you to see here is that this chapter, chapter 4, is all about heaven. We looked last week at at, at verse 1 and the first part of verse 2, as John describes the sequence to heaven, or how it is that the church of Jesus Christ will be translated from the earth to heaven and we went into detail last week about this this whole sequence of the rapture the whole thing of heaven opening and the lord descending the shout the voice the the trumpet the the transformation everything that john outlines for us here in chapter one or verse one of of revelation chapter four and we saw last week that basically what god does in giving us the sequence of the rapture here in verse one is then he, he he gives us this outline of it right here and then he fills it in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then once he's there, okay, now he, he's gone through the sequence of the rapture and, and now he, he's there. And once he's there in heaven, and this is Roman numeral 2 on your outline, John begins to describe the scene in heaven. We've looked at the sequence to heaven, and now he begins to describe for us the scene in heaven. And and you'll see as we move through verses 2 through 6 this morning that as John describes what he actually saw once he got there, that everything in this entire passage has to do with the heavenly throne. The heavenly throne. In fact, the word throne is used nine times in just these five verses it's found 12 times in this entire chapter but in, in verses 12 through 6 that we're going to be looking at this morning where he describes the scene in heaven the word throne appears nine times and you'll see that everything that he, he described that he saw in heaven is described in its relation to the throne everything and let me show you what i mean L- look at the end of verse two he tells us about who is look at it he tells us about who is on the throne and look at verse four and round about the throne and verse five out of the throne and verse six before the throne And in the middle of, of verse six in the midst of the throne i, I mean it, it's just wild man here he says this is what i saw on the throne round about it out of it before it and in the midst of it it all has to do with the throne the the theme of revelation chapter four is obviously the throne and the reason that it's the theme of this chapter is because it's also the theme of heaven Notice in the middle of verse 2, John says, And behold, a throne was set in heaven. You see, it was the focal point, the the throne. And and listen, you find this, it's consistent all the way through the Bible. Any time that you find somebody who is looking into heaven in the Bible, it's strange that every single one of them are always going to talk about that throne that throne the prophet micaiah said in first kings 22 and verse 19 he said i saw the lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left ezekiel saw it in ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 26 and what he says is i, I saw the likeness of a throne Isaiah In Isaiah chapter 6, in verse 1, Isaiah said, In in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a a throne. And John, he comes here, and John is caught up to heaven, and 12 times in 11 verses, he says, That throne, that throne, the throne, the throne, the throne. And and you begin to get the idea that the theme of heaven has to do with With a throne and and you'll notice that this this throne is in direct contrast with the thrones of power and authority on earth because all down through the centuries the thrones of earth have risen and fallen but not this one this is an eternal throne look at it again he says it is set in heaven and it's a symbol of jehovah's universal government and and it's the theme of heaven that the throne but not only is the throne the theme of chapter four and the theme of heaven it's also the theme of the whole book of revelation in fact the word throne is found 40 times in this book alone now listen it's only found 55 times the word throne 55 times in the entire new testament 40 of them are right here in this book but not only is the theme of of chapter 4 and of of heaven and the book of revelation the throne it it is also the theme of the entire bible the bible begins chronologically in in ezekiel 28 and isaiah 14 it begins with a struggle over a, a what a throne And it ends in the book of Revelation talking about the one who ends up on the throne. And listen, everything in the Bible, everything in between is nothing more than God moving to put his son on that throne and the devil doing everything within his power to try to stop him and to put himself on that throne. So what that means is that the throne is not only the theme of the Bible, but it's also the theme of history. And we look at the wars of history, and, and we tend to look at them from a very human perspective. I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't talk while I'm preaching, y'all. Thank you. Don't want to interrupt you. What, what, you, what you find is that it's the theme of history. We look at the wars of history, and we, we look at this thing, and you know we just think that it's one guy going over here trying to squash somebody else. That's not it at all. And there's a bigger picture of what's going on there's going to be a, a king who's going to establish a throne in israel and he's going to sit on that throne in jerusalem and listen to all of history is nothing more than just setting the stage working all of the details out to get that one on the throne and whether you realize it or not this morning that throne is the theme of your life i, I mean when when you break break everything down into its lowest common denominator all of life revolves around who is going to sit on the throne of your life in fact when your earthly life is over listen when your earthly life is over your eternal destiny is going to be determined by that one fact of who was sitting on the throne of your life was it the lord jesus christ or or was it self And look at the middle of verse 2 again. John says, And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and, count them, one sat on the throne. And let me tell you something. If you ever in your life, if you ever hope to behold the one on the throne in heaven, you better make sure that he is the one that is seated on the throne of your life down here 2 second corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 tell us how that every single one of us Are dead Spiritually because of our sin and what it what it says in that passage second corinthians 5 14 and 15 What it says Is that jesus christ died? So that once we put our faith and our trust in him we might have life And so that once we have life listen to it we will no longer continue to live unto ourselves but unto him which died for us and rose again in other words he died so that self could be dethroned in all of our lives and he could take his rightful place on the throne of our life And, and now listen there's a lot of you that are in this room this morning And you've never come to the place in your life to where there is one other than self that sits on that throne. And we believe the reason God wanted to bring you to this place today is so that he could confront you with the theme of life. And it's in Revelation chapter 4. The fact that it all has to revolve around it, the focal point of life, the focal point of history, the Bible, heaven, everything, it all has to do... With that throne and that one that is seated there, and you can leave here this morning, having submitted the the lordship of your life to Him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the, the fact of the matter is, there's others of us that are in this room this morning, and some of you are defeated, you're discouraged, and you're frustrated. And, and you know why you're like that? It's because you're you're trying to live. In a co-regency christ came into your life and there was a glorious day when he came in your eyes under open to who he was and you called upon his name and he sat on that throne but what's happened for a lot of us his self has moved back on the throne and now there's no longer one on the throne there's two and there's part of your life that you've, oh, I've surrendered it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then there, there's part of your life where self is still calling the shots. And, and self is still getting its way. And stel- self is still being gratified. And self is still being satisfied. But what you're finding is the reason you're discouraged and defeated and depressed and all of those things is because you'll never be satisfied until one, one is seated on that truth uh, on that throne. You'll never know the fullness of life. You'll never know the fullness of joy or, or, or blessing until the one who is seated on the throne in heaven is the one who is seated on the throne of your life. Okay, so, so John, he's caught up to the third heaven and he begins to describe the scene in heaven. And again, it's all about the throne, the throne, the throne. And as I said, everything that he describes in this chapter It's all described for us in relation to the throne. And that will be our outline this morning. First of all, he talks about on the throne. On the throne. And you see that the thing that makes this throne so significant is not the throne itself. It's the one who is seated there. And of course, this, this one is none other than Jehovah. The the triune God and and watch how John describes him in verse three. And he that sat, uh, and I mean, wouldn't you love to hear John describe this? Because you see, we we, we we come into Revelation chapter four, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. But I'm just telling you, I, I believe the way that John was writing this is he, he's going. Oh my goodness, man! He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And, and I want you to notice that as John describes him here, he doesn't describe him using words that have to do with a man. H- his form, as he describes him, his form couldn't be clearly distinguished or described. All John could say is, it was like I, w- I was looking at the most gigantic and precious, glistening, gems that i had ever seen in my life the incredible light of god was veiling his person and all john could say is man there was this incredible light that was it was like a it was like a jasper it was like a sardine stone and you see this is very consistent with what we see in the rest of the bible john in first john chapter one and verse five says that god is what Hello. God is light. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul said that Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, listen to it, dwells in the light which no man can approach to, whom no man hath seen nor can see. In Psalm 104 in verse 2, the psalmist said that God covers himself with light as a garment And John says here, he says, I I saw this incredible light that was like a a jasper. And if you want to know what a a jasper is like, turn over to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, because this this jasper is is somewhat different from what we would call a jasper today. Revelation 21, verse 10, John says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city the holy jerusalem descending out of heaven from god having the glory of god and her light was like unto a a stone most precious even like a jasper stone here's your definition clear as crystal now now catch this what john is describing here in john chapter 4 and you can go back there this jasper is described more like what we would know today as a what A, a diamond okay symbolizing as as verse 10 or revelation 21 identifies the glory of god and the holiness of god so john saw this one on the throne and he says man the light was was shining with all of the, the brilliance and the glory and beauty of a diamond a stone most precious clear as crystal there were no flaws it was completely clear you know what when a, a, a jeweler is looking into a diamond you know what he's looking for he's looking for clearness he doesn't want to find any carbon it's in there the impurities john said man i looked at this one it was he was clear as crystal no flaws no impurities absolutely clear and brilliant john also says here in revelation chapter four and verse three and he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a sardine stone and the word sardine is the same word that you find other places in the bible the sardius s-a-r-d-i-u-s the sardius and look back at right right here in Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse 1. It's the same word that we saw back there, the church at Sardis. And does anybody remember what the word Sardis means? Good. It means red ones. The sardine stone was a red stone. And, of course, it symbolizes what? The blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth us from all sin it symbolizes the blood atonement john says I-, I looked at that one on the throne and oh my goodness it was like looking at a jasper shining gloriously a- as clear as crystal but at the same time it was it was also man it was also like a, a sardine stone it shined brilliantly in blood red blazing light and and remember now here's john who's made out of the same junk we are he's a finite man and and here he is beholding the infinite and he's trying to describe it to us and and what, what he does here is he knows no other way to try to describe to us what he's seen than to liken it to something that he knows that we would know about and what first century people would know about but keep in mind as as he's describing this stuff that he's also writing under the inspiration and leadership and guidance of the holy spirit of god so now listen the things that he likens these things to in in heaven are the exact things that the holy spirit wanted him to liken them to so that we could employ the principle of bible study that we find in first corinthians chapter 2 in verse verses 10 through 13 the fact that this book is going to be revealed by the spirit of god as we compare scripture with scripture so he he, it's it's not that he's just you know it it was like this oh it was from a human perspective but the holy spirit is guiding every single bit of that so that we could have the full understanding of 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 this thing and as we employ that principle of first corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13 one of the key places that you find yourself is in Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 through 20, where God is describing for us the breastplate that the high priest would wear as he entered into the Holy of Holies. And what you find is that breastplate had 12 precious stones on it that had engraved the names with each stone, had engraved the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And just take a wild stab at where you find the sardine stone and the jasper stone on the breastplate. You know where? They were the first and the last stones. And, of course, what John is seeing is symbolized in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last and coincidentally enough the, the sardine stone is on, on that breastplate was represented by reuben his name means behold a son the jasper stone on the breastplate represented benjamin remember what his name means the son of my right hand you now, now listen very carefully Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5 says that there came a point in time when, now now listen, It, it says there came a point in time when God the Father spoke to the second person of the Trinity who had eternally existed. Don't miss that. God the Father spoke to the eternal second person of the Trinity and he said to him, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And of course, he was talking about when he was born in Bethlehem. He did not begin in Bethlehem. He was begotten as a son on that day. And verse 8 of that Hebrews chapter 1, you probably need to write that in. It's not a misprint. We're going to hit chapter 8 and verse 1 here in just a second. But Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, right after God said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You know what God the Father said to that second person of the Trinity? He said, this is the Father speaking now. He said, thy throne, O God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And and listen, by being begotten as a son, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1 says that he has become our high priest just like that one that was pictured there in in the Old Testament but this high priest is set on the right hand it says of the throne of the majesty in heaven so we go back and we find out that that high priest in the Old Testament was just a picture John is caught up and he says "Ah, I saw the high priest and you know what he was the first and the last the sardine and the jasper it was incredible so that's the one that John describes, the one on the throne. But now let's look at what he saw around the throne. Around the throne. Or the words that he uses here are round about the throne. First of all, he he says, he says he saw, y'all have anywhere to go today? (laughs) Oh, okay, good. I was just wondering. (laughs) First of all, he, he says that he saw a rainbow. Uh, and look at the middle of verse 3. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. N- now, now look at the verse again. Notice that it doesn't say, and over the throne, like an ark, there was a rainbow. And, and you see, a lot of times what, what happens to us when we're reading through this pas- passage is, is that's the way that we envision it, that there's this you know, rainbow, rainbow but the reason we see it like that is because we're human and we have finite minds. This isn't a rainbow like the ones that we look up into the sky and and see that goes from horizon to horizon. What he says here, what he describes is this is a rainbow that is a complete circle. It goes round about the throne. It goes all the way around the throne and you see as a geometric figure the circle is a symbol of perfection it's also the symbol of eternity because you see a circle has no beginning and it has no end you say well well man that's that's strange i mean imagine that a, a rainbow that's a complete circle no that that's not strange did you know now listen did you know that from heaven's vantage point rainbows are always complete circles it's just that from an earthly perspective we only see half of the rainbow and and listen i mean we could we camp here all day there's great great lesson to be learned from that you see most people go through life and and they're looking from an earthly perspective and they're looking at everything that they see and they're bummed and they're discouraged and they're depressed and they're nervous and they're upset because they view life from the same exact perspective that we view rainbows from an earthly perspective and paul talked about this in second corinthians chapter four and verse eight where he talked about seeing things from a temporal viewpoint which he defines as only looking at the things which we see with our human eyes and our human reasoning. And you see from that viewpoint, just like with the rainbow, the world blocks out the other half of reality, of life, the things that Paul said which cannot be seen. They're there, but you can't see them except through the eyes of faith and what he called those things that you can't see were the eternal things the the things that really matter the things that that complete the picture of life that complete the rainbows of our life if you will the, the thing that the things that give us heaven's viewpoint of what's going on the things that give us god's viewpoint of what's going on and listen folks man i i uh, grab a hold of that you're looking at your life, and some of you guys are, are about ready to throw in the towel, and you can't figure out what in the world's going on. You know why? It's because you're looking at the things you can see. And, and it's time that you begin to look at this thing from God's vantage point and begin to see that you're only looking at half of reality. In Genesis chapter 9, God said that he was going to put that rainbow up in the sky so that every time that we looked at it, we'd be reminded of the fact that he would never judge this world again with, with the flood. And it's a great reminder. But now listen, now that you've seen John describe a rainbow for what it really is and f- seeing that thing from heaven's vantage point, listen, use that rainbow as a principle every day, every time that you ever see one, look at that thing and let it be a reminder to you that when we go through this life from an earthly perspective, we're only looking at half of reality and that what we need is the wisdom of god to get on top of that thing and begin to look at life and look at our circumstances and look at what's going on from the other aspect of that thing but but notice something else that john says about this rainbow at the end of verse three he said that this rainbow was in sight like unto an emerald Okay, now the rainbows that we've seen have, uh, you know, this multicolor thing. This one is different from those rainbows because what John says, this one, he says it was in various hues and various shades of green, like an emerald. Now, the the emerald on the high priest's breastplate was representative of Judah. And his name means praise green of course is the color that's associated with the earth okay now now catch the picture and, and i'd rather you see it with your eyes than, than get it on your paper if you can do both the, then do it but now check this out A- as we're caught up into heaven as the, the glorified saints of god and we behold this one who sits on the throne who's like a a a diamond he's glorious and 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 holy and 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 we see him on that throne encircled by the the rainbow that is like an emerald you know what it will be it'll be a a a constant reminder that we have before our eyes of of, a, a, a reminder of the wonderful grace that god bestowed upon us when we were on the earth as he who is eternal came to this planet and laid his life down and shed his blood to atone for our sin as depicted through the sardine stone and as we behold this incredible scene when we get there to see it like John did you know what's going to happen? as we're reminded of this green of when we were on the earth and he atoned for our sin and now here we are in his glorious presence It'll, what's going to happen is our hearts will be filled with judah our hearts will be filled with praise to this one that is on the throne who is like a jasper and a sardine stone in that rainbow that encircled it as an emerald and that's really the, the the picture of the next thing that john identifies that was around the throne in verse four and it's the 24 elders the 24 elders. John says in verse 4, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, it, man, as you study this thing out, there, you, you'll find there's all kinds of speculation about who these, these elders are and why it is that there's there's 24 of them, and some people say that they're, they're the angels. But, but if you look right across uh, in chapter 5, in verse 8, look, look at what it says. It's still the same basic scene in heaven. He says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, and four and twenty elders, here they are again, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, mm, must be angels, you are playing harps, you know, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints, and they sung a new song okay and maybe the song will let us know a little bit about who they are okay here's the words of the song thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to god by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and you see listen folks that's something that the angels cannot sing because they've never been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Others say, well, they, they represent the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. They, they represent the Old Testament saints and, and the New Testament saints. And, you know, we can go on and on with all the speculation personally in, in light of what we, we see them singing in chapter 5 and where you see them show up again in the book of Revelation. They show up again in Revelation chapter 19 as the marriage of the Lamb is being prepared And I believe that the 24 elders represent the church, the the bride of Christ. And and look at verse 4 again. They're found here seated. That's their position. The 24 elders are are sitting. What we have here is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ at rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says that there remaineth therefore a rest. To the people of god for he that is entered into his rest he also hath ceased from his own works as god did from his and i believe what you find in revelation chapter 4 and verse 4 is god's people the church which spiritually according to ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 have been sitting with christ in heavenly places since the very day that we've all been saved and here they are now sitting in glorified bodies with the work behind us sitting in his presence at rest. And, and notice how they're clothed, verse four says, clothed in white raiment. Revelation nineteen and verse fourteen says that at the second coming of Christ, when we follow Jesus Christ out of heaven on white horses, it says in Revelation nineteen fourteen, that we will be clothed in fine linen, white and clean the same exact clothing that we're in here in revelation chapter 4 and verse 4 and the end of verse 4 says that they had on their heads crowns of gold and for all of you who have been discipled through personally discipled through this ministry you know because you've learned this in discipleship that there are five crowns that are offered as rewards to those of us that comprise the the church of the bride of jesus christ so there's crowns that are on their head was, and someone says well you know if this is the church then why are there, there are 24 elders and it's a great question and and if you go back to first chronicles 24 and 25 we don't have the time to do it this morning but if you ever go back there what you'll find is that in first chronicles 24 and 25 david established coincidentally enough 24 orders of priesthood 24 elders were appointed to represent the entire Levitical priesthood. And you know, of course, now listen, there would have been thousands of priests, but when the, the elders met in the temple, the whole priestly house was represented in that 24. And what is it that, that Peter calls us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9? not the levitical priesthood he calls us what a royal priesthood and here you find the church of jesus christ in the kingdom in the presence of royalty a royal priesthood represented in 24 elders and of course i believe that's what revelation chapter 4 and verse 4 is all about revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 says that christ has made us kings and priests unto god and his father and and thus our crowns as kings the the white as the, the the priestly garments our clothing in verse four so on the throne is god himself and around the throne is an emerald rainbow and the 24 elders are around that throne as well and then next verse 5 john describes for us what is proceeding out of the throne out of the throne verse 5 says and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices oh my oh that's a different thing and in a we we always got to get the wizard of oz in there somehow you know what i'm saying okay lightnings and thunderings and and voices and in a very general sense what you find is that these these three things are connected with the awesomeness of the presence of god or the awesomeness of god's presence You, you remember in exodus chapter 19 Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to get the law of God and Exodus 19 verse 16 says and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled again that the awesomeness of the presence of God Ezekiel talked about that lightning coming out of the throne in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 13 when he was caught up to see that thing when he was in the presence of God but more specifically the the, the lightnings and thunderings and voices have to do with the wrath or judgment of God the wrath or the judgment of God, and keep, keep in mind while, while John is describing these things that are going on in heaven after the rapture of the church here in, in Revelation chapter four and five. Now now listen, remember that while all this is going on in chapter four and five, the events of chapter six through eighteen are taking place on on the earth. It's all at the same time. You understand that? In other words, the the tribulation is going on. In chapter 6 through 18 while the jubilation is taking place in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and and look at what it says okay so so you're following that tribulations going on while john is beholding all of these things while we're beholding him on the throne as we're caught up after the rapture during that period of time that's being described here the tribulation period is going on and look over in revelation chapter 8 and verse 5 It says and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake and go over to chapter 11 and again all of these passages we're dealing with here in chapter 6 through 18 are all dealing with the tribulation period revelation chapter 11 and verse 19 And the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. And then chapter 16 and verse 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. And What John has seen is that which is... Proceeding to the earth from the throne of God in heaven in the form of his wrath and his judgment. Psalm 77 and verse 18 says, The voice of thunder was in the heaven. The, the lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. And again, a picture uh, uh, or the psalmist describing exactly what was taking place during the tribulation period. in in the book of revelation that we just saw so we we go from what is on the throne to around the throne to out of the throne and now in the middle of verse 5 to that which is before the throne and look at the middle of verse 5 and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. The first thing that is before the throne are the seven lamps of fire, which he defines very specifically for us as the seven spirits of God. And, of course, seven is the number of perfection. And as you might expect, there is spiritual perfection before the throne of God. We've gone into detail already in this study concerning the, the seven spirits of God. Uh, we, we were introduced to them back in chapter 1 and verse so we're not going to take the time this morning to exhaust all of that again, but as a reminder, or if you weren't here when we were going through that at, at that time, understand that there are not actually seven different spirits of God, as Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, uh, First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says, there is one spirit, but that one spirit is manifested in seven different ways, where there is a sevenfold ministry that that one spirit carries out, and that's identified very specifically for us by comparing scripture with scripture in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And what it says about this, the seven spirits of God, is there are these the spirit, right fast, we've got to move. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of Of understanding the spirit of counsel the spirit of might the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the lord and john says those seven spirits were before the throne but there was something else that john saw that was before the throne look at verse six Look at verse 6. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. He, he saw a sea of glass. John says, I, I, I saw this, this sea. And man, it was like no sea that I had ever seen in, in my, my life because it wasn't, it wasn't liquid. It was solid. It was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. You see, we might say today it was, it was crystallized. We might say it this way: it was frozen. It was frozen. Now, is that what John's describing for us here in in verse 6? Because, now now listen, if it is, biblically, it would make all the sense in the world. Because because remember, two weeks ago, I began showing you some things in the Bible that had to do with the deep, which is a body of water that is not found, now listen, it's a body of water that is not found on the earth but is found in the uppermost reaches of the second heaven. And in comparison to the waters that be on the earth, it makes the Atlantic and the Pacific and the Indian and the Arctic look like a, a, a puddle in your driveway, man. I mean, they're nothing in comparison with with this water. And we went to Psalm 148. In fact, let's let's do that together just so we can get everybody on the same page here. Psalm 148. And this is what everybody came for this morning. You just had to muddle through all the other things to get there, right, man? But oh, I man, I hope that as you're going through that, it won't be just stuff you fill your page with, man. That that place that John's described—that's where we're going, y'all. And I'm telling you, it's going to be. I'm trying to. I'm a finite jerk up here trying to explain to you something infinite. Let me tell you, I I can't even come close to to putting in your heart what's going to be when you look and you see that emerald rainbow that encircles that thing and you see those 24 elders and, and you see that diamond and you see that, that sardine stone let me tell you something man we're going to I can't wait I, I, you know I, it's pretty good service I'd just as soon get on out of here wouldn't you some of y'all don't even want to care about heaven you just want to get out of here I know how it is I hate you for it too we saw, and I'm just kidding, in Psalm 148, what we saw is that there are three heavens that are found in the Bible, and all three of them are found in Psalm 148. The, the first heaven we, we've seen correspond, now if you weren't here, now listen real carefully so you can get this, because we're going to be in over our head here in just a second, Okay. The the first heaven we've seen corresponds to the atmosphere, okay? It's located from the ground to the clouds. It's where the birds fly and the airplanes and the butterflies and, you know, all that junk. Okay, the second heaven is what we refer to today as outer space, and it's where the sun and the moon and the stars are. The third heaven is the abode of God. It's where God lives. It's what John was describing for us. The third heaven there in Revelation chapter 4 And it's located beyond all of the constellations, all of the galaxies, all of the star clusters. And we won't go into all the proofs of this again, but it's specifically located in what direction? Say it together with me. It's in the... I like it. It's in in the north. And again, Psalm 148 is a psalm that is talking about praising God from all three of the heavens. That's why verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens plural the heavens and here comes the third heaven praise him in the heights praise ye him all his angels praise ye him all his hosts those are the other inhabitants of the third heaven in the abode of God and then in verse 3 here comes the second heaven praise ye him sun and moon Praise Him, all oh, ye stars of light. Verse 4. Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens. And here's what I wanted you to see. And ye waters that be above the heavens. That is, above the second heaven that He's described for us there. The sun, the moon, and, and the stars. Uh, someone says, well, you know, that, that, couldn't that just be a figure of speech? I mean, you don't want to build a case off of that one verse. Okay, I'm with you. Let's don't build it on one verse. Okay, let's turn back to the book of Job. It's the book just prior to the Psalms. Job, and turn, if you will, to chapter 9. Job chapter 9. And just pretend you're a, you're a kid in a sword drill in junior church and you're trying to get to these references, the fastest. okay? Because we really need to, to, to try to move. And yet I want to make sure that we all understand this. Okay, we can save us some time if we just hustle to get to these places. Okay? Job chapter 9, let's pick up in verse 5, where Job's talking about removing mountains and overturning them. Verse 6, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars that tremble, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up The stars, and somebody might think that maybe what he's describing here is the flood in Noah's day, but it ain't the flood of Noah's day. That's not, that verse 7 didn't happen then. It it has, it has happened. Verse 8, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and now notice the context that we're dealing with is the heavens, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea see that's the sea that is up in the heavens and verse 9 confirms it because the names that you see listed there you know what they are constellations in fact same names that we use today and this was written 4000 years ago and they didn't they didn't have telescopes back then did they same ones and what he says here is he treads upon the waters that are above the constellations you say well what are these waters that psalm 148 verse 4 said be above the heavens and job 9 8 says god treads upon well we're going to look at some other references here in the book of job but let me let me take you back to genesis chapter 1 and show you something here that a lot of people miss in this very, very, very familiar chapter. Of course, verse 1 says, "...in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth." And verse 2 says, "...and the earth was without form and void." And we don't have the time this morning to talk about how it got that way, but I believe what we just saw over there in Job chapter 9 was describing how the earth got this way, I, I, now listen. If I'm freaking you out, Isaiah 45:18 says that when he created the heavens and the earth that you see in verse one, he says he did not create it like it is in verse two. So, so before you call me, you know, some kind of a jerk or some kind of a fanatic, you, you might want to just compare scripture with scripture on that thing, because he says Isaiah 45:18, it wasn't created like that. And if you want more detail on that, then you can pick up the church history tape number 6, and it'll dial you in with all of it. We don't have time to to go into all of that again this morning and and cover this, okay? Now watch this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And I want to remind you that this is before the Atlantic and the Pacific were created. And already... God identifies for us in verse 2, the deep. Go on in verse 2. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, And then drop down to verse 6 because he picks up the discussion of these waters down in verse 6. And God said, now, now picture this in your mind. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. So do you have it? Okay. Waters above and waters below and a firmament or an expanse, the the sky and the atmosphere and outer space in between. You got it? It's going to divide these waters. Verse seven. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning were the second day. And I want you to notice now that after He had divided those waters and put the firmament in between, on the next day, God made the oceans on the earth to appear look at verse 9 and God said let the waters under the heaven what's the heaven it's the firmament right okay let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear and it was so okay so now those what what he's talking about in verse 9 in track with me here those are the waters that are under the the firmament that we've come to call the Pacific and the Atlantic and the Indian and, you know, right on down, down the line. But the fact is, now that's, that's the waters on the earth under the firmament, but they're still the waters that be above the firmament that we've still got to deal with. Okay, so what, what are they? Job 26 now. And let me me show you in Job 26 what God says about him over here. Job 26. Let's pick up in verse 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Now, now watch this. He bindeth up the waters in His thick clouds and the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of His throne and spreadeth His cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. And what God lets us know here is that this vast amount of water that is above us, way out there beyond the constellations and galaxies and star clusters, that those waters have been bound by God in thick clouds. And God said in verse 9 that they hold back the face of his throne in other words man isn't going to invent a telescope that is going to see into the third heaven where god makes his abode because there is an incredible amount of water that god has bound into clouds that won't allow you to see through it and i don't care if we go another four thousand years there's never going to be a telescope or never be a spacecraft that's going to tread through those waters, and check this out, in Proverbs 30 and verse 4, it says that God bound the waters in a garment. He bound the waters in a garment, and that's those thick clouds. God uses these heavenly waters that He has bound into clouds to hide the face of His throne. And look at something else that it says about these waters in chapter thirty-eight of Job. Job thirty-eight. Look at verse thirty. The waters are hid, as with a stone. Oh, on, check this out. And the face of the deep is frozen. You know what Job's describing for us here? The same thing that John saw in in Revelation 4, 6. A sea of glass like unto crystal that is frozen upon which the throne of God is set. Now, we're going to be coming back to Job. Just go to the next book real quick. Let me show you this over in Psalm 104. Man, this stuff's been here all along. It's just... I don't know. We stayed up too late the night before when we were having our devotions that day, you know? Too busy trying to read through the Bible in a year. Look at Psalm 104 in in verse 2. Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment and watch it who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain and watch this now who layeth the beams of his chambers where he dwells, if you will, in the waters. The beams of his chambers are in the waters Who maketh the clouds his chariot. Listen, this thing is consistent. God keeps telling us, He makes His abode and has set His throne in the vast waters of the deep, the face of which is frozen. And go back to Job 37 for a minute. Job 37 And I'm 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 really trying to hustle and yet I, I don't wanna break this into so many individual messages that you you miss it. Okay, we're 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 closing in, y'all, okay? Just 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 hang with me. You still there? Okay, good. Job thirty seven. And look at verse fourteen. Now now I'm not gonna be able to comment all the way through this thing, so now now pull it in. Don't you you think with me, okay, as we're reading this passage. Job thirty seven. And let's pick up in verse 14. Hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. They're wondrous, Job. Dost thou know when God disposed them and caused the light of His cloud to shine? Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of Him which is perfect in knowledge, how thy garments are warm when He quieteth the earth by the south wind, hast thou with Him spread out the sky which is Strong and watch this now, and as a molten-looking glass. And have you ever thought about this? Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, do you remember what Paul said? For now we see through a glass, what, what? Darkly, but then face to face. Wow! teach us what we shall say unto him for we cannot order our speech by reason of darkness shall it be told him that I speak if a man speak uh, surely he shall be swallowed up and now men see not the bright light which is in the clouds but the wind passeth and cleanseth them fair weather cometh out of the north with God His terrible majesty. Awesomeness, in other words. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice He will not afflict. Men do therefore fear Him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, He's saying, Job, what are you doing questioning me? I'm this great God, this awesome God who has set Himself in the midst of the darkness. I'm this one, and who are you to start asking me questions? Gird up thy loins, verse 3, like a man, for I will demand of thee an answer, and answer thou me. Job, he says, if you know so much, if you're going to question me, let me ask you some questions. Okay, and watch his questions. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. If you know it all, come on, speak up. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it, whereupon the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors? You Remember what, you remember what John said? And a door was opened in heaven. Who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb, when I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors. And again, you what God is describing for us is the fact that he has hidden himself on his throne beyond the waters that are in the deep, but the deep, the seas, are not the ones of the earth. It's the ones that be above the firmament. And, and just quickly go over to one one final passage. In Job 41, <clears throat> in Job 41, and man, I, I, I wish that, uh, all of us were working on the same page when it comes to Job 41. Uh, Job 41 is all about Leviathan, and all of you who've been here for a few years, uh, tell all the rest of the folks that Leviathan is he's Satan. And, and he, again, it, just like you're seeing this morning as you compare Scripture with Scripture, that I mean, this deep thing is as clear as it can be. Leviathan is just as clear as it can be as well. And look at what it says In Job 41, verse 31, this is Leviathan, Satan. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary or or white. And do you remember in Job chapter 1 and 2, what it lets you know is that Leviathan, Satan, presents himself before God on his throne. How, how does he get there? He's got to come through, say he's got to come through the deep. And Leviathan, as he passes through, I don't know if you've ever, man, growing up in Miami and you know being around the, the deep sea fishing and all of that that kind of stuff, Man, when there is a huge fish that is in that water and it's like this, you know what it makes the water? It looks like it's boiling. It looks white. And he says, Leviathan, as he presents himself to the throne of God as he comes through there, man, you'd think that that water was boiling. You'd think that it was white because this incredible sea creature with seven heads leviathan is coming through that thing and john says man when i saw him before the throne it was a sea of glass like unto crystal It was it was frozen and i believe what john was seeing was exactly he was seeing the throne of god and Man, it, we've already seen this morning. God makes His chambers those waters, and it's frozen over at its face, and you can't see it. And 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 now listen, li- listen. If you're if you're here this morning and a, and a skeptic, if you're a Bible believer, then you, you you have no problem with with this. But if you if you are a skeptic and you need science, modern science, to confirm what God was writing about in His book for thousand years ago the the book of job is 3800 years old oldest book in the bible and it's all spelled out for you everything that is out there that modern science is listen you know what modern science is about to get into into the neighborhood they're not near the ballpark yet But they're about to get in there. And and, and let me just give you a few quotes. On June 23, 1990, uh, one of the publications in London called The Economist reported this. Astronomers seem to be missing something. To wit, most of the matter in the universe, between 90 and 99% of it, simply refuses to shine and is thus invisible to them they know it is there but not what sort of stuff it is october 19 1992 u.s news and world report ran a story and this was the headline darkness made visible most of the matter in the universe is invisible what is it and where in the story, as it begins to go into it, says this, "'Astronomers have long been puzzled by what they see and don't see in the heavens. "'Based on calculations from the motion of galaxies, "'they reckon there must be at least ten times more matter in the universe "'than what they actually observe. "'I don't think we have a clue what it's made of,' says Anthony Tyson." an astrophysicist at AT AT&T Bell Laboratories in New Jersey. Yet he says, we've now realized that dark matter dominates and drives the evolution of the universe. On January 18, 1993, Time magazine ran an article entitled The Dark Side of the Cosmos, and the subtitle read, As Astronomers Struggle to Illuminate the Nature of Dark Matter... A new report hints that as much as 97% of the universe could be made of the mystery stuff. And the story goes on, when Charles Alcock peers up at the nighttime sky, he wonders not at the luminous stars, but at the darkness that enfolds them. The Milky Way, Alcock knows, is like a sprinkling of bright sequins on an invisible cloak spread across the vastness of space. This cloak is woven out of mysterious stuff called dark matter because it admits no discernible light, a sort of shadow with substance. Dark matter dominates the universe, accounting for more than 90% of its total mass. And could it be that what... They're seeing is in part or in whole what our study has revealed that God revealed to us in a book that is four thousand years old. And you know what? It it does take science just a little while to catch up with this old book, doesn't it? But you know what? If if it if we go another four thousand years, they ain't gonna catch up. It ain't gonna happen. And you know what? We ain't going another 4,000 years either. Because the Bible, as clear as it is on all the things we've seen this morning, is also clear about what time it is. And for some of you, listen, it's time you got saved. <laughs> Man, we, we are living in what the Bible reveals clearly as the last days. And that experience that John is writing about is something that is going to be taking place here in the very, very, very near future but it is only promised to those who have put their faith in jesus christ alone apart from any church any man any denomination or anything of the like it is through jesus christ and what he did on that cross alone to take away your sin and if you've never received jesus christ as your savior then uh, hey listen I, i i'm just telling you as a preacher i can't make it any clearer than god has made his book today that this is not just a, a, a leap of, of, of faith, you know. I mean, it's just not, you know, like blind faith. Man, he, He's given you everything that you need to be able to know that this book is from Him.